Welcome to Michael's Record Collection, episode 43. Hey guys, I'm your host, Michael Citro, and for this show, I thought I'd do something a little bit different. I recently took a trip back to my old hometown to see my favorite band, Genesis. This legendary band is in the middle of its final tour called The Last Domino, and I just had to see them, even though they weren't going to play anywhere within an eight-hour drive of me. So, I went home to Columbus, Ohio, to see family and friends for the first time since the pandemic started. And while I was there, I saw Genesis for the third time, and most likely for the last time. Rather than talk about a new record that's coming out or a classic album from my collection, I brought in a guest this week to discuss the Last Domino Tour, and Matt Wardlaw of Ultimate Classic Rock was kind enough to join me for this. Matt saw Genesis in Cleveland on November 30th, and I caught them in Columbus on December 8th. We compared our notes on the set list, the way the band sounded, Phil Collins' new seated position on stage while his son Nick played the drums, and our just our overall experiences. I also asked Matt a bit about what he does for Ultimate Classic Rock, and about his time at the influential Cleveland rock station WMMS. I hope you enjoy this departure in format. Think of it more like Michael's concert ticket collection this week. So before we get started, I just want to give you a reminder, you can follow me on Twitter at Mike's Records, and I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube as Michael's Record Collection. You can also visit michaelsrecordcollection.com and sign up for my free weekly electronic newsletter. And you can write to me at michaelsrecordcollection at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. All right, let's get to that discussion with Matt Wardlaw. Had a lot of fun with Matt. Really appreciated his time. And it was a blast talking about Genesis and seeing the band live one more time. Here we go. Hello, welcome once again to Michael's Record Collection. I'm very excited to have with me for this episode, Matt Wardlaw from Ultimate Classic Rock. Thanks for your time, Matt. Hey, man. So good to be here and finally, you know, meet you sort of virtually in person. This is going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, we have met on Twitter and uh, this is our first time, you know, speaking sort of uh, quote unquote face to face here via Zoom. Yeah. And we're here today to talk a little bit about Genesis. I just went back to my hometown of Columbus to see Genesis play on the last Domino tour, bought the $50 t-shirt and uh, you saw them up in Cleveland. And I wanted to compare notes a little bit, but before we do that, why don't you tell me, uh, tell our listeners too, uh, what it is you do for ultimate classic rock. Yeah, sure. So ultimate classic rock, um, the site itself launched at the beginning of 2011 and uh, I've been on board with them since day one. Um, and, uh, I've done a lot of writing and interviewing with them over the years and, uh, always on like a freelance part-time basis. And so that's kind of the big part of 2021 is that I finally took it and, uh, went full time back at the end of April. So, um, I've taken what I've already been doing for them and, uh, made that my full-time thing. And, uh, then also beyond that have uh, kind of branched out this year, uh, into doing a lot more stuff with them for video um, and also have been doing uh, just various shifts on uh, they have a bunch of classic rock stations so I'm, I'm heard in classic on classic rock stations all across the United States and it's kind of funny because I've been doing radio stuff with them off and on for again the past decade and so every once in a while uh, I'll get a text message you know from a friend of mine and they'll just be like hey man I was driving through I don't know like Alabama or whatever it's like I heard you on the radio that's weird so uh it's one of those things that still never gets old but uh having a lot of fun is always uh and it's been a fun fun year ultimate classic rock have you know spoken with a good 
good number of our classic rock heroes. Um, sadly, uh, nobody from Genesis, although um, in past years I've uh, spoken with both Mike and Tony uh, a number of times, uh, but uh, there's been a lot of good progressive rock folks that I have spoken to this year. Carl Palmer, Rick Wakeman, you name it. So in short, Michael, it keeps me busy. So yeah. it's all good. Can't complain. Uh, Tony and Mike are bucket list guests for this show. That's for sure. Uh, who's the most yeah. famous person that you've talked to? Most famous person I've talked to. Um, that's a really good question. I mean, I, I think that Brian May from Queen has to be up there. Um, mm -hmm. Jeff Lynn I've spoken with. Um, three out of like the four main guys at acdc that was how i wrapped up last year like a 6 a.m zoom session with those three uh so it's you know brian malcolm uh and 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 angus and now that i'm thinking about it uh cliff was there as well so it was like it was wow. basically you know four you know everybody but phil rudd was there so so yeah um I have been, you know, I kind of call them classic rock baseball cards. Like as I talk to the various folks from Aerosmith or whoever it is. So mm -hmm. um, there's not a lot of my heroes that I haven't talked with. I mean, the ones, you know, of course, the question is like, who have you you know, not spoken with that you'd like to? Um, that always comes down to just the ones that are just way, way up there. And that would be like, you know, Bruce Springsteen. Um, prior to him having a rather interesting year, Eric Clapton was always on my list because I'm a big Clapton fan. <laughs> So there's some of those guys up there in the stratosphere that I've spoken with. And then there are others that are up there in that stratosphere, like a Bruce and like a Clapton that are, uh, and Steven Tyler from Aerosmith is another one. Haven't spoken to Steven came really close. So there's, you know, there's still quite a few of the classic rock heroes that I'd love to speak with someday. And, and since we're talking Genesis, obviously Phil is on that list. I've tried yeah. a number of times over the years to try to talk to Phil and, um, he's just not an easy one to get to. Although I, have friends that have spoken with him and you know i mean we're both fans like uh he's just as lovely as you would think he would be yeah so you were with wmms which you know for i know from growing up in ohio is a yeah. huge station um certainly an instrumental station for breaking bands like rush and um it, it just for music throughout the midwest mms was a very influential station and yeah. you know that's that's pretty cool i don't know how many of the shows that I went to in Cleveland that were presented by WMMS, but it's that number is not one. It's certainly more than that. So, uh, yeah, well, they did a broadcast with, uh, they did broadcast with Genesis on the trick of the tail tour from 76. And, you know, that was one of the cool things about, uh, the show in Cleveland was that they were selling t-shirts that had like basically the poster from that show. So that was the $50 t-shirt that I took home that night. <laughs> How long were you with MMS? Uh, just about a decade. So they're from about 1995 through the early 2000s. Yeah. So Matt, we're uh, yeah. before we move on to Genesis, I also want to mention that I was uh, recently um, uh, enjoying the book that your wife wrote for 33 and a third books uh, on Duran yeah. Duran's Rio. We hope to have uh, Annie on the show sometime to talk about Rio and, and Duran Duran because Michael's record collection Rio is certainly in that. And nice. um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, pass along my best to her. Uh, I will do that. Absolutely, man. Matt, what's your Genesis origin story? How did you first come across the band? When did you become a fan? Genesis origin story. Um, you know, I grew up in the 80s. So um, Invisible Touch was kind of the entry point. And I think that from there, you know, when they put out We Can't Dance, uh, I listened to that record a lot. 
And then I kind of started making my way backwards, you know, going to like, you know, Duke and, you know, some of the other albums. And funny enough, the 70s Genesis was really kind of a later um, entry. I've always been a music fan, Michael, that like, I imagine you're very much the same way that when I become a fan of a band, like, and I find out that they have a history that stretches out many albums before I discover them. The the example I can give is like Chicago. Once I found out that there were other Chicago albums besides Chicago 17, I had to have all of them. So Genesis was very much the same path, but for whatever reason, it took me a longer time. I don't know what it was, but it took me a while to find the proper appreciation for the Peter Gabriel era of the band. And I was just talking about this with a friend recently. I think that it probably happened um, sometime around the time that Steve Hackett started to tour here in the past decade, playing, you know, the classic Genesis material and in, and then eventually starting to do some of those albums from the Gabriel era and otherwise in full. And so really, as I would be getting ready to talk to Steve about those various records, like um, I started taking a deeper dive, you know, funny enough, like I'd already done the thing as a collector where it's like, as they had put out each of those like album box sets they put out like i think three box sets with the albums and then of course like the box set of the live albums and the movie box like i had all that stuff i had all that stuff sitting in my music collection but it's like there just were albums that i really hadn't taken the deep dive with so um as i've done that over the past years uh like i really got a a, a real appreciation for the entire body of work of genesis even stuff that is a little bit off the beaten path, like the from Genesis to Revelation record and just like all that stuff. And then it's like friends for years had told me to go see that tribute group, the musical Vox. And I went and saw them finally. They blew my mind. So it's like I've seen them like three times. Um, the most notable being a show uh, when they were playing the entire Selling the Selling England by the Pound album. They played at this club in Jurgles, um, uh, this club in Pittsburgh called Jurgles, which the musical box typically they play like theater gigs like you know 2000 people whatever because they mm -hmm. carry a pretty big production and how for whatever reason they got booked into this club show in pittsburgh which was really cool because um they weren't able to use all the production they usually use i think that they were about to they, they were able to like use like a video screen behind them and that was about it you know of course they had for folks that are listening to this that don't know it's like they're endorsed by the guys from Genesis. The guys from Genesis gave them access to their old costumes, let them access like their old master tapes so they could pull the proper sounds off. So mm -hmm. seeing that show in Pittsburgh, like literally was like seeing Genesis in a small club in the seventies, it was bonkers. So um, that's kind of my overall path with Genesis. Um, you know, I've, I definitely still slant towards, I would say the Phil Collins era but I have an equal appreciation for both eras and I've spent so much time like listening to and examining these records over the past decade, especially that I'm just always fascinated. Like they're one of those groups, much like the Moody blues and, you know, yes. And plenty of others that we could throw out that something that gets lost today, I think is that um, they just make great headphone records that when you listen to them on headphones today, they are still just astounding pieces of work so that's yeah. kind of my uh long cut on on my path as a genesis fan so you know i'm yeah. a fan that's the short version i had a similar uh similar sort of path i might be a few years older than you i kind of came in during duke 
turned yeah. on again and misunderstanding were very big uh, radio staples and I just moved forward with them through time and I, I was always aware at some point that Peter Gabriel was in the band and it was really not until something called Napster came along that I was able to go back yeah. and explore those albums so I I downloaded uh you know I stole all this music and I I listened to it and I enjoyed it and then I immediately went out and bought all the CDs anyway so um because I just had to have them and just became a a huge Genesis fan they were always a favorite band and they really kind of cemented themselves as my very favorite band sort of around the time that I was exploring uh, the back catalog through Napster so it was great to uh, to go back and check those out and and then it branched out from there got all the, the Gabriel a bunch of Hackett some some Anthony Phillips and all of that stuff so similar path I think in some respects to you what was the album that like as a fan like as you're going back and discovering the stuff what was the album that kind of blew your mind definitely selling england by the pound um yeah I, it took me a long time to gain an appreciation for the lamb lies down on broadway i love the song i i'd heard that song on the radio on fm radio and a couple others i was aware of follow you follow me uh as far as before duke but um yeah really kind of that was that was it for me selling england really hooked me in and foxtrot yeah. uh, was another and um and then again, it, it, some of the weirder stuff took a little longer to appreciate, but uh, <laughs> but I got there eventually. How many times have you seen Genesis? So that's the really sad part of this tale. I've seen them approximately twice, once on this tour and then once in 2007. Uh, great regret. Uh, you know, I really started going to shows, I would say, early 90s. So I certainly had a chance to see them here when they played the Municipal Stadium on the We Can't Dance Tour. Did not go. And, you know, I, this was early on in my concert going where it's just like, you know, you have a budget, you only have so much uh, money as a teenager and you're going, well, okay, um, I'll catch them next time they come around. And the next time they came around, you know, turned out to be not for a lot of years, but yeah, um, <laughs> yeah so I've only seen them the two times. Well, I, as my favorite band, I'm sad to say I've only seen them three times. I've seen them on the two tours that you've seen them on, uh, both yeah. in the same arena in Columbus. and. My first time was on the Invisible Touch tour at oh, Richfield nice. Coliseum in Richfield, Excellent. Ohio. So up your way. I, and I think they was, did two nights on that tour, right? I, I don't know, but I do know that I, it was the only time I've ever camped out for tickets for a show. Really? Nice. They went, went down to Peaches. We were the second in line, and we were, stayed out all night, me and my roommate. And uh, we had, had to make sure there were two of us in case one of us had to go and use the restroom somewhere come back they would hold the other person's yep. place didn't have anything like a chair or anything of comfort we were just there um and yeah, it was kind of nice. like a last minute decision it was like we want to make sure we get good seats for this so we're out there all night and about i don't know 8 30 a.m maybe closer to nine a bunch of people start showing up all of a sudden and the, the line was pretty long by this point uh, from people coming out over and, and waiting out all night like we were. And then the, when the store was getting ready to open, you know, we saw some employees go up, get ready to open up and open the ticket uh, master uh, window and all of that stuff. And they said, if anybody is on the list, come and let us know and we'll get you sorted out. And apparently what they had done was they had uh, people who had come in that week and said, hey, I want to get Genesis tickets. They put their name on a list. And they let oh, about wow. 30 people on this list go to the front of the line. So we yeah. went from second in line 
all the way to about 32nd in line for this show. And we were, I was just so upset at that point. And this was pre wristbands. And I, I bet this is one of those types of things that led to the wristband system because people <laughs> couldn't have been happy about it. And I'm sure it was happening elsewhere. So they open this up. Everybody's starting to go in and get their tickets. And we get up there and we get in and we got the very last row in the back <laughs> of Richfield Coliseum. For, yep. You know, opposite end of the stage. And it was, you know, people that were in us in there five minutes after us got no tickets. And it was, I mean, it didn't take long. It was like 25, 20 to 25 minutes of, of you know, the line from the time it opened to the time we got our tickets. And we barely got in. So, unfortunately, we we didn't get a good view. And the view screens in those days weren't as good as they are now. So, yeah, it was a lot of... uh dancing ants kind of down there it's an important thing for like folks that didn't have that experience of camping out for tickets and all that kind of stuff though it's like you know when you find out that there's an exclusive club and you're not in it in that moment you're sitting there going i'm probably not going to get tickets and it's an awful feeling and the today equivalent of that is like you know Ticketmaster live nation the website locking up and you know you had tickets in your cart but they disappeared but uh, it was a lot more dramatic when you were in person, sometimes out in the freezing cold and you've been out there for you know a number of hours. And it's like, you find out like that thing that you weren't aware of that now is possibly the thing that's going to keep you from getting tickets. So I, I'm just glad that you got in the venue. <laughs> I, I wish that your seats, had you gone to the Coliseum for other shows? I've seen a lot of great bands in Richfield. I've seen Rush. I've seen um, um, Judas Priest there. Uh, yeah, so yeah nice. I've seen, seen, I saw David Bowie there. So some really oh, like probably shows. sound and vision tour. Yes. Like 1990. Yes, exactly. Nice. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So. That's it was just like in, in anybody like listening to this, watching it, you know, whatever, like, you know, we all have like those great, like rock arenas that we miss. And that's one that I miss a lot. Like in comparison to some of the classic rock places that people would go to see shows around the country, um richfield coliseum was only around for like basically 20 years um you know the city like struck a deal to like basically move everything downtown so it really was like a venue that kind of went away while it was still in its prime and mm -hmm. i feel fortunate that even though that i was kind of like early in my concert going days that i got to go and see some shows there because i saw some of my absolute favorite shows there i saw springsteen for the first time saw clapton for the first time and you know zz top and so on you know so mm -hmm. it was just a great place to see all these all these arena rock bands that we're talking about that are now you know they were legendary then but they certainly are titans now that there's some of these that like you can't go see rush and all that kind of stuff so i'm glad yeah. that i got the chance to see some of those i mean talking about bands that sold that place out in 15 20 minutes i mean just some really great great shows there but uh yeah sounds like you went to see them you went to see them in cleveland at a similar sized arena that i went to Correct. see them on and i did I had to go back home to see them because for the, just like the 2007 Turn It On Again tour, Genesis did not come here to Florida. I live in Orlando, Florida, and they didn't yeah. come here. So I had to make a decision. Where am I going to go see them? Because if I'm going to see them, never entered in the equation. This is, this is going to probably be the last time I get a chance to see them. 2007 yeah. seemed like it was going to be the last chance to ever see them. But especially with, with Phil's health, it just didn't seem like they were ever going to tour again. And then he sure, came sure. out with, they're going to tour. Phil's just going to sit and sing. And his son, Nick, is going to do the drumming. 
so he won't be able to do the drumming, but they're going to get out and do it one more time, the last domino. And so, you know, I always look at some of the cities that I love to visit. Cleveland, Columbus, Philadelphia. I have a sister in Charlotte. And I thought I hadn't been home because of the pandemic. So why not go see them in Columbus and visit family, visit yeah. friends, go to some restaurants that I, you know, I miss that I can't go to anymore. And so I went there and it sounds like we had similar seats from what you were saying. I, I posted a picture on Twitter and it was, uh, if you're looking at the stage, we're on the left, we were in the second to top row looking down on the stage and uh, <laughs> probably in the second open section, the ones to our left were probably a little bit obstructed view. Yeah, our seats were similar. Uh, good friend of mine, Jeff Midnight, uh, who I've gotten to know th via Twitter and Instagram and all that kind of stuff, reached out to me. Oh, how did this happen? We, um, oh, I know what it was. Um, he had a copy of Def Leppard's High and Dry on vinyl that he had been trying to get to me because he had extra copies. And, you know, so we had met up at one point and he's like, uh, I have this copy of Def Leppard stop by and get it sometime. And so months had passed and I hadn't gotten this record from him. So on a crummy rainy day in Cleveland, he says, Hey, what, you know, are you out and about? Why don't you beat me? So I met up with him, you know, in, in this rainy parking lot and it's rainy, it's cold. So neither of us, of, neither, neither of us wants to like spend much time talking. So I take the record, put it in the car. Good to see you. And he says to me, this is probably a week or so before the show. He says, by the way, I've got an extra ticket for Genesis next week if you want to go. And, um, you know, because of the pandemic, really, like, it had been on the we'll wait and see kind of list as far as, like, going to see Genesis. I'm going, well, I saw him in 2007, so if I don't see him. But in that time, I had a friend that went to see the show in Toronto, um, uh, uh, and he says to me, this actually comes after the ticket has been floated in front of me because the Toronto show was still a week or so away. But mm -hmm. so he floats this ticket in front of me. And I says, I, I said, I'll, I'll let you know. So some time passes. And then, uh, you know, my friend goes and sees the band in Toronto and just sends me a text message. And he says, do whatever you have to do to go see this show. So I send Jeff a text message. And I said, I'm in, you know, how much <laughs> is the ticket? And he's like, well, man, he's like, I just want you to know it's not a great seat. I'm like, don't care. I'm like, here's my experience, Jeff. I'm like 2007 when I went to see Genesis at the Quicken Loans Arena. I said, buddy of mine and I showed up outside, you know, paid $50 each, you know, to scalpers, you know, to get tickets that were way up in the rafters. And as you'll appreciate, Michael, like, you know, these days with a Genesis show, and the level of production that they carry, that's one of the best places that you can be. So it's like, I already knew from having gone to that show, I don't necessarily want to be close. I want to be further back. Mm -hmm. So that's what was kind of funny to your point, our seats. Yes. Our seats were very similar because not only were they nosebleed seats, but they literally were uh, for this most recent show here in Cleveland, they were literally one low one row from the top of the venue. And uh, so here. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of heights. So, yeah. <laughs> so Every time I get seats like that, I, I get up there and it takes me a moment to adjust and it's like, okay, I'm going to be okay. So I kind of, you know, went through that whole process and sat down and they came out and they looked like ants and I had this and, the, and there really wasn't much happening with the video screens. So I'm mm -hmm. like already kind of having some regret, but then the video greens, the video screens start and all that kind of stuff. And it just goes from there. So not to get into the actual show, but um. <laughs> That's how I ended up getting, you know, a ticket for this show was, you know, thanks to my buddy, Jeff. And I'm 
hugely grateful to the point it was such a show that like i literally uh almost went to see the show again when it was in pittsburgh and you know ultimately decided that with you know holidays and everything else i was like all right you saw the show you know hang on you know (laughs) and 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 another one of my favorite bands delamitri had put on a tour uh they put tickets on sale for their tour next year and i just laid out money for three shows on that tour so that was weighing on me i was like all right you just you just spent money on three shows for delamitri you already saw genesis cool down you know yeah so yeah that's the story of how i wound up at this latest one and you can see several shows for what you spent uh to see genesis really yeah Uh, the tickets are not cheap we are going to get into spoilers now i know they've wrapped up their u.s leg of the tour but they do still have some shows left in europe so if you're going to see them in Europe and you're like, just don't want to hear anything about the show, uh, which probably will have some changes, but probably not a lot, then I understand. But this yeah. is your spoiler warning now, because we are going to discuss <laughs> the set list a little bit. I think most people know probably what songs they're going to play for the mm-hmm. most part. There, there are not a lot yeah. of surprises, but there are a few. So if you, you know, if you're, if you're spoiler averse, probably a good time to, uh, to, press stop and then come back and watch the rest of this or listen to the rest of this when you have seen the show i'm impressed because that's a good lengthy spoiler alert that you just laid out so well done <laughs> gotta give them time all right yeah. so they come out and it, it hurt my heart to see uh phil walking with a cane but you know he's not yeah. a spring chicken anymore and uh he, you know they had the chair for him right in the front uh tony takes his uh his place at the normal spot of it as you're looking at the stage he's on the right you got mike and daryl on the left some new folks uh, in the back doing a little bit of background vocals and some other instruments and some background singing and nick on the drum set and uh you know pretty much as expected i think at this point and they come out and they started off with behind the lines a little instrumental uh, intro to that and go right into duke's end and right away since Duke is my favorite Genesis album, I'm already thinking it's worth the money already. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree with all that, you know? So when I saw them, there were a few times in the show where Phil was a little flat vocally, but yeah, it's not like, I mean, he didn't sound bad. You could tell that he couldn't quite reach some of the notes that he could, you know, when he was younger, but there were a few times he was flat, but it could have just been a monitor issue. That's, I mean, that's one of the things, uh, you know, that I knew from 2007, you know, and you saw that show, like they had already adjusted the keys vocally for that mm-hmm. tour. And I saw Phil solo when he did his most recent solo tour, you know, a couple of years ago, a few years ago. So I knew that vocally, just on the solo side, he had taken things even further down. 
And so then having like kind of like sneaked a peek at some stuff from this current Genesis tour, I knew that they had really, really adjusted things, you know, from where they had been in 2007. Uh, the experience that I had uh, was very much the same of how it was when I saw him solo. And that was, he comes out and he's in the chair. Um, and I had seen Phil, this, this is worth mentioning. I had seen Phil on the dance in the light tour solo back in 97. So I did see Phil mm -hmm. in his quote unquote prime. Um, and so when I saw the solo show a few years ago, I kind of had something to measure, measure that against. And what impressed me, um, because I went in very managed ex expectations, he's going to be in a chair and, and this and that. What impressed me about seeing that solo tour, which also matches up with his current Genesis tour, is that he's in a chair, but he still puts forth the same amount of energy that he did when he was running around the stage, like he still puts all of that passion into the performance. And I saw this in both shows. Like he starts out a little bit shaky, a little bit wobbly. And as the show like progresses, like his energy just builds and builds and builds. And I, I just, as I was watching the show, um, one of the things that struck me that was very emotional was just the fact that like looking at Mike and Tony and Phil and not even really grading on the curve with Phil for the fact that he's got like reduced abilities vocally and so on. These guys have been doing what they've been doing for more than 50 years. And it's like, mm -hmm. and they're really, if this is the final tour, like I can't imagine, you know, with those guys, you know, some of them being in their, you know, early seventies and so on. I can't imagine the keyboard wizardry that Tony Banks pulls off what what mike rutherford pulls off on the guitar like they pull that stuff off tony especially just because i feel like he has some of the most difficult work going on up there mm -hmm. they pull it off with such incredible dexterity that like and daryl sturmer uh it was pointed out to me you know 40 plus years you know there with those guys um they're still playing at such a high level you mentioned the background vocalists um they are there to prop fill up in a sense but what i like is that it doesn't feel like they're propping fill up like mm -hmm. it feels mm -hmm. like they found a way to work those singers in and fill on his solo tours as you would know he always had background vocalists so it's it's sure. not it's it's new to genesis but it's not foreign to have you know I'm sure for a lot of years, like if Phil could have taken out, you know, four background singers with Genesis, if he would have won that argument, he would have done that years ago. Now it's <laughs> like they're doing it because it seems like maybe it's more of a necessity, yeah. but I thought that they were worked into the Genesis musical landscape very tastefully. Yeah. You, you hear Phil and what you hear behind Phil, it just sort of kind of not, I mean, no pun intended. It fills in the sound a little bit. It's, it just, yeah. it just adds some depth to it. It's not like it does. You don't, it's not distracting. You don't hear them over him. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And I was surprised that they went into a li little bit surprised. They went into mama. I'm sure that's one that they feel that they have to play because I feel like that was, I felt like it, that could go awry vocally, but it, it really didn't from, for at least in the Columbus show. No, it was, you know, it was classic sinister Phil.
songs of the night and you really hit on something um just mentioning that like that was one thing about the set list for me is that like basically the set list on paper which you already kind of mentioned earlier um there's not a ton of surprises but you know the stuff that's there surprise wise which we can get into like i was pretty excited to see so there were definitely a couple carrots on the stick that were dangled Mm -hmm. that i was like i want to see those but then there was other stuff like the acoustic set I, I looked at that acoustic set. I'm just like, oh, I don't need to see Genesis play an acoustic set. But <laughs> the arrangement that they did on Lamb Lies Down on Broadway was actually cool. And it's like, and I just like, I dug the whole progression. So like, like the short, the, the short version is I thought that acoustic set, you know, fit in pretty well. So that was another thing about the show to me was that everything uh, like, like on, I, I think that's been a criticism of Genesis over the years is that, going back even as far as like the just the the invisible touch tour i think there's a lot of people that feel like they've trotted out like basically the same set list time and time again adding in you know stuff from the new record at the time but otherwise you know it's always in in the view of a lot of people it's always the same old tunes and the same things that phil is saying in between the tunes and i think phil at one point made reference to a you know a party trick or a parlor trick yes, and party that Genesis was appropriate yeah <laughs> yeah that that was appropriate because um there are some of the raps that were in play on this tour that are classic things that he's kind of said on tours across the years but i mean to me that just kind of felt that felt part of the whole nostalgia train that i was happy to take mm-hmm. a ride on you know yeah so it was it was very cool with some good fan service, uh, they, you know, they did the, you know, the other world um, thing for Home by the Sea. They did the, uh, yeah. the Domino Principle. The, you know, people over here, yep. and people, are, and it's it's tedious to listen to it on a live album, but when you're there, it's actually fun. It is, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it was kind of cool to like see, you know, again to the point of like Phil just still being able to be Phil. Like Phil led led those moments with just as much gusto and like you know you would think that like how does he maintain that enthusiasm as many times as he's done those across mm-hmm. the decades but it's just like he's still like he's a performer like i love the way that he just like just rolls that out in front of each crowd in columbus and in cleveland in boston wherever they are like it's the first time he's ever rolled that out in front of an audience like he he's got a lot of enthusiasm that's pretty infectious yeah, great showman, very engaging, very personable. Yeah. Uh, so you go you go from the the opening from Duke, you go behind the lines, Duke's in, then turn it on again, then Mama, you go to Land of Confusion from Invisible Touch. Of course, that's uh, always been um, a concert staple since Invisible Touch, since the first time I saw them. And then Home by the Sea and second Home by the Sea. And for me, Matt, I got to tell you, the band, you know, especially the long instrumental passages, probably has yeah. never sounded so good. They sounded yeah. tight and really, really on their game.
yeah, those were big nuggets for me besides the couple of songs that they stuck in that were kind of unique to the set list. Um, the way they kind of like staged those instrumental sections to just drop in like kind of like sections of like classic instrumental portions of classic Genesis songs. Mm -hmm. Like I found myself flashing back to 2007 and just how blown away I was the first time I watched them just like just destroying the venue like they play like like just the power and volume that they like hit with those sections i mean again like like tony banks could just bring some insane things out of his keyboards like they just they just rise to unbelievable levels where you're just like you're watching and you're going that's all coming right now from one guy like he's still he's just an astounding guy to watch like just watch him in his like laboratory of like mm -hmm. musical things running around like you know making sounds like that's one thing um i did a podcast this past year with a friend of mine jeff giles called 1991 uh, the year that aor ate itself and we uh, spent a good amount of time talking about the weekend dance record so i was watching some various like documentaries um from that period and like watching tony talk about like how he just made some of the sounds on we can't dance really was kind of fascinating and that's for me as a music fan when i was listening to we can't dance like they were just crazy sounds that i was like i've never heard that on a record so to mm -hmm. actually you know kind of hear the story behind the story of like how he created some of those things was really interesting and that's something that and jeff actually said this more recently when we were talking about this current tour he was talking about how when he went back to those classic records with uh with with peter gabriel that was the first time that like he really um saw tony banks in a way he said he always kind of found tony banks boring and uh, th that's not the first time i've heard that like yeah. tony banks i think is somebody in the genesis lineup that is like underappreciated um and it's like when you're in a moment like those moments you're talking about like where they're they're just going to town with the instrumental sections that's where you just look at all of those guys like whether it's tony or mike or daryl whoever uh, of course nick collins behind the drums holy crap um and you're just going i can't even believe what i'm watching right now like that's that right there is the power of live music yeah the you're right i mean tony is a little bit he's stodgy he's the the proper englishman type but yeah man you you sit him down behind a keyboard and he just he doesn't make a lot of crazy expressions he doesn't you know his his keyboard doesn't flip upside down or catch on fire or any of the, the, the theatrics, but he just plays like, and you've got his keyboard washes and the, the, the bass pedals going and you feel that music in your chest uh, when yep. you see these shows live. Uh, the first after home by the sea, second home by the sea, which again, I'm already able to go home happy because home by the sea is one of my favorite songs of all time from their catalog. Yeah. First surprise for me, because I managed to avoid the set lists, was the Fading Lights intro. The first couple of verses of Fading Lights from We Can't Dance was was an unexpected surprise for me. And then it takes yeah. this very abrupt turn into maybe the best instrumental section of all of the Genesis catalog from the cinema show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and to be Fading Lights... Some of my favorite stuff on We Can't Dance was the stuff like Fading Lights and Driving the Last Spike, like just basically all that stuff that didn't get a lot of radio play. And mm -hmm. um, I saw that, like, you know, I knew that there was word that they were going to do it, but then it's like I looked at the set list and saw they were only doing part of it. I'm going, oh, that's kind of a bummer. But it's like 
they give you a big healthy chunk of that song and you're right mm-hmm. man the way they transition that's that's really part of what makes this set list work so well is the transitions that they figured out like this song would go well with this song and mm-hmm. it's like they just have like just an emotionally deep song like fading lights that some people have said that phil i don't know if there's any truth to this but some people have said that phil wanted to put fading lights into the set kind of as um a musical nod to the fact that this is the last tour mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so i can see that you know again i don't know the truth of that but it makes sense and so having that kind of in mind as they were playing that like knowing that that was perhaps his intention that hit hard and uh then it's like then they make that instrumental transition and yeah there's just a lot of moments like that in this show that just are crazy i i thought that it might make a great show closer not maybe the most upbeat show closer but i thought fading lights would have made, made a oh, good yeah. closing song for this uh, but they get. I think there was a little chunk of riding the scree in the cinema show stuff, and then uh-huh. and then they go right into Afterglow, which is another huge favorite. Just like the dust, it settles all around me. I must find a new home. The ways and hopes that used to give me shelter They're all as one to me now And uh, then they break for their acoustic set. And also it's worth mentioning that during the instrumental, long instrumental passages, Phil kind of disappears from the stage, but he doesn't leave. He just goes around behind the drums, which... If you sat where we sat, you can see him back there. <laughs> yeah. 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 Which, you know, I I noticed that like, it's like, is it, it's, it seemed like there were a lot of, somebody else talked about this and, and how it wasn't overly played up, but that he definitely had these moments where he was just, you know, watching Nick do his thing, you know, or in that case, you know, moving out of the way and just giving Nick, like one could like, you know, envision it as like, you know, giving Nick the full respect, you know, kind of just like stepping back to like, you know, give an unobstructed view of Nick Mm -hmm. doing his thing. So that's, that's definitely one of the parts that I thought was cool was that like, even when he wasn't participating in the instrumental stuff, he was still there kind of like looking on with a certain amount of reverence for his bandmates, you know? So uh, we've we've both seen a lot of shows where the guy that's not needed on stage during a particular song just leaves the stage and he's gone it's like i thought it was kind of a cool silent tribute that you know even when phil wasn't doing his thing he was still hanging out like watching his bandmates do his, do their thing yeah and perhaps reflecting on the on the on his career perhaps thinking that this is these are the last times i'm going to see these guys doing this on stage yeah and yeah it, you know, it was, it was very stuff, poignant man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I should say about Nick is that Nick was great throughout the entire show. He doesn't play every drum fill exactly like his dad, but he adds his own flavor. He's got his own style, but he doesn't deviate so far from it that you're going, oh, this just doesn't sound right. Yeah. And what I think is incredible about Nick is it really validates what we hear about guitar players, how it's in the hands you i i don't know that i've had a lot of chances to see that defined for drummers 
but Phil is certainly somebody that always has had a certain sound that when you hear Phil Collins playing, you know, it's Phil Collins. And I don't think you can say that about a ton of drummers. Mm -hmm. And that really was what was incredible to me uh, when I saw Nick for the first time, as far as, you know, backing up Phil solo. And again, here with Genesis is that he replicates Phil's tone, which is incredible. And his feel, the way he feels, uh, the, the, the way he plays. And you're right. Like he brings his own thing to the songs. He doesn't replicate everything that Phil does to a T, um, but he, he pays proper respect. And at the time that I saw him, I think he was like basically 17 years old. So now like he's, I think 20, you know? Yeah. So Just this is kid. a guy that like, we're, you know, we're going to, we're going to see him probably doing his thing for a lot of years. And, you know, I, I think in a sense, I know that this is polarizing um, people either like Jason Bonham or they strongly don't like Jason Bonham, but it's, I, I see a very, very similar thing to Jason kind of carrying his dad's legacy forward. And um, there's a Genesis tie in there because uh, you know, Phil Collins and Genesis um, were close with Bonham. And after Bonham passed, like, you know, Phil and Genesis, like, took Jason around with them in some form, you know, on tour, you know, there was a whole relationship there. And there was even the talk as this tour, you might remember this, Michael, but as this tour was originally coming back together, uh, as it was coming together prior to the pandemic, there was a uh, word that, that Jason Bonham had gotten together to rehearse with the Genesis guys. And that there was a chance that he was going to go out and, you know, tour. And I think that just from a scheduling standpoint, that it didn't work out, but I had a chance to, you know, talk with Jason about that. And of course he just said it was just, you know, an unbelievable experience for him just being in the room, playing with these guys that like he first knew when he was like a kid, you know? Yeah. So I think that that's got to be a very similar experience for how Nick feels. Um, of course, it's just elevated by the fact that like he's playing, you know, uh, the parts that his dad played for all those years. I cannot, it's very much like, christian nesmith and everything that he did with michael nesmith like i can't imagine the pressure there michael i really can't like yeah. it's got to be you know huge pressure because it's like you want to make your dad proud and at the same point like you want to do justice to what your dad's been doing all all his life with his work yeah exactly so uh, i think he did his, his dad proud and you can see on phil's face that he did it proud and and then it was a this cool thing you mentioned the acoustic set they kind of pull everybody in tight everybody gets on a little chair they they have this smaller drum kit that they wheel out for nick yeah and they do um acoustic versions of that's all the lamb lies down on broadway and follow you follow me and, and i thought this is a cool little thing I, I remember when yes did their 35th anniversary tour they did a little acoustic yeah. set as well it was neat because you know everybody goes and they buy these live albums they buy the the dvds the fans and it's nice to have something different that wasn't on the last one yeah, that Yes show, I think one of the things they did in that set was um, show me from, well, I guess, what would have been the new record at the time, Magnification, um, or somewhat close to new. Um, and you're right. Like, those are kind of cool moments. Like, that's one of those things that I still think about and go back to from a playlist you know, standpoint. I thought, when we talk about transitions, I thought that the transition between um, Lamb Lies Down in, on Broadway into Follow You, Follow Me, was that was just another brilliant kind of transition. And that really... I already loved what they were doing with Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, but that really kind of just sold me on the whole acoustic set. Like that's all kind of just sounded like that's all. They really didn't veer too much from the playbook there, but mm -hmm. I thought that what followed was pretty special. Yeah. It's 
always interesting when Phil does a Peter song and, um, you know, it, when you yeah. put a little bit different spin on it, it, it's cool. And we'll talk a little bit more about Phil doing, doing Peter songs a little in a little yeah. bit, but, um, after the acoustic set, they, they dive right back into the Duke album with Duchess. Yeah. Again, just, you know, it's a Tony song and it's just quintessential Tony Banks. And then they go into one of those, uh, crazy keyboard sounds that you talked about on no son of mine, the elephant sound, they call it. And, uh, yeah, uh, you, you knew they were going to play No Son of Mine, and they did. And then they go into the Firth of Fifth instrumental. into some peter territory with i know what i like in your wardrobe uh, with a little bit of stagnation yeah. thrown in there yeah i uh i i agree i thought that was interesting you know so um a whole interesting run um i don't know about you i was thrilled for duchess like there was that moment where they had taken it out of the set list like for all of a show or two in chicago and i think that there was enough outcry that they put it back in and it stayed in for the rest of the tour but yeah, that, that whole run that you, that you went through. Very cool. And then you get uh, the hits down the stretch, uh, the stretch run, you get Domino, which again, and other, uh, it was a hit song in some respects. It got a lot of FM airplay, but it's a long song. And it, and it, it, it's one of those songs that satisfies both the pop Genesis fans and the prog Genesis fans. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I like, um, not to jump ahead too much, but I like the basically the run of songs that they do all in a row there from Invisible Touch. And I don't know how you feel about the album itself, but like again, it's not new. I think they've had kind of that run of songs or some variation of it, you know, over the over recent tours. Um, but I, I think what that does for me that as somebody that loves that record, you mentioned like Domino being like a good nod for the people people that love prog Genesis. I think that that three song stretch of Invisible Touch material really does a lot validate that invisible touch as an album gets a lot of criticism that perhaps is not uh, entirely justified like there's a there's a lot of good stuff on that record and i think that that run kind of um uh kind of sells that yeah it's very much an album of its time but at the time yeah. it was enormous i mean it, it brought in it brought in beer sponsorship to their tour <laughs> it yep. uh it was huge on MTV, and uh, it enabled them to play the biggest arenas and stadiums that they could uh, they could book. So they go from Domino to throwing it all away. You get uh, Phil bringing back his uh, Didale sing song, yeah, uh, getting yeah. the getting the audience involved tonight, 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 and they do the short version where they do the first couple verses, and then they break into Invisible Touch yeah. to to close out the uh, the first you know part of the show. 
uh, before the encore. And Invisible Touch is a song that the old school Genesis fans mostly don't care for. But sure. when you see the reaction in the, the arena of the fans, you know exactly why it's getting played. I'm, I'm never looking forward to it, but once they're playing it, I never mind hearing it. It's one of those weird songs. Yeah. So, you know. I would not I, place it I, among my favorites either, but like when it's live, it's like you can't help but just sing along. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's one of the first Genesis songs that as a fan, like listening to the radio, like since Invisible Touch, the album was kind of my gateway to Genesis. Like that was like, you know, I, I remember trying to tape that off the radio and so on. Um, so it was a favorite at the time, but that and like Land of Confusion, like, you know, the radio singles, like, I, I just, I, I don't need to hear them. Like we've all heard them so many times mm -hmm. just on the radio um, that it's never one that I'm going to dive and program into a mix for myself. Yeah. Um, but the album itself, I'll say like that, that was one of my, I guess, quibbles about this current tour is like, I kind of had a feeling that either Domino or Tonight, 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 or both were going to get abbreviated. Um, I, I would love I would have loved to have had the opportunity to hear the long version of tonight, 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 one more time. Yeah. Yeah. That, that could, they could have uh, stretched that out to, and that would have been fine with me. The encore starts Matt with the, basically the, the de facto uh, title track to we can't dance. dance which is i can't dance is to we can't dance as invisible touch the song is to invisible touch the album again it's not one i reach for it wouldn't put in my playlist uh it's kind of a cringy song in some respects but when they're yeah. doing it live you just kind of get into it yeah i spent a lengthy as we were talking about we can't dance on the podcast earlier this year i spent like a long time talking about how much i don't like i can't dance the song uh for for me um you know, the way people target the title track of Invisible Touch, you're right. I Can't Dance is kind of that tune on We Can't Dance. The other song on that record that is in the kind of in that same category for me is Jesus, You Know Me, Jesus, He Knows Me. Like, those are the two songs that I literally never hear, need to hear those songs ever again. <laughs> and so as much as I wasn't looking forward to hearing Invisible Touch, I really was even less looking forward to hearing I Can't Dance. And man genesis they come out on stage and i'm like going genesis i have to admit i'm not minding hearing this right now so i found myself enjoying <laughs> i can't dance just as i did when i was a when i was basically a teenager listening yeah. to that song for the first time i liked the wacky video you know so it, in the end it's like that's why it's a big hit song is because you can be the biggest grinch curmudgeon and they can trot that song out in the live show and you're like, you know what, Genesis, I'll give this to you. I'm having fun right now. 
Yeah, they didn't play Jesus He Knows Me, which is fine with me because that is the equivalent of Illegal Alien on the self-titled yeah. album. <laughs> Did you get the tour book, though? Because the tour book has the rehearsal set list that they rehearsed back in, let me see what it says, I think January... All right, it just says January rehearsal. So I don't know if that was 2021 or if that was back mm. before the pandemic. But either way, Jesus He Knows Me was on the list of tunes that they rehearsed. So there was a there was a chance we were going to get yeah. it. Yeah, I thought we were going to get it. That's one of the ones I would have expected. But uh, they go from I Can't Dance to the biggest surprise for me of the night. Because again, I, I avoided the sh- spoilers. The yeah. intro and the first verse of Dancing with the Moonlit Night, Phil singing a classic Peter song. Yeah, so so cool, such a cool moment. Like when I saw they were doing that, I was so excited. Um, I don't know if you got to see this tour, but um, Peter Gabriel and Sting did a tour together a few years ago, and uh, there was a moment during that show where during Sting's portion of the set, Sting like basically sang part of that. Like, and mm-hmm. it would just was so cool because part of what was so cool about that was that Peter himself wouldn't touch that in his solo. Like that that hadn't been part of his show, so in that same way like you know that song was always kind of on the list of songs that you never thought you'd hear genesis tackle again so mm. when i saw that in the show i was really excited and it did not disappoint at all yeah i lost my ever loving mind for that and yeah. it was great <laughs> and then they went into the carpet crawlers to close the show which i always thought the carpet crawlers was a very odd song to close a concert with it's not a big rock number it is it's it's very subdued and it's, I mean, they did a great job with it. It's very, you know, faithful. It was very great uh, version, but it's not, it's never for me been a great out uh, concert closer, but it was so enjoyable to listen to. I knew that that was going to be the last song as soon as they, they broke into it, but I went, all right, they're closing with carpet crawlers. I love it. I'll listen to it, but I'm a little bit, I would rather go out on a higher note, I guess is what I was thinking. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's a weird one for me because um, I, that's a song that I listen to from Genesis that always kind of takes me to a weird kind of like reflective place. And so when you're looking at this being the final tour from Genesis, um, I, you know, there's that certain mysticism that you get the worlds of wonder that Genesis create with some of that early um, Peter Gabriel music. Um, And I mean, I think they carried that forward, even with some of the stuff that, you know, Phil did with them, you know, into the seventies and beyond. But to me, that was a good reminder almost of like, in a sense, like for anybody that was there in the seventies, like listening to those records on headphones, just like being carried away to those worlds. Like it was kind of a reminder, a little bit of like, in a sense, where it kind of started. So I thought that that was kind of a, a good way to kind of go full circle, even if you're not going all the way back to the very, very beginning. Like, I thought that, that was kind of a cool, meaningful way to end things off. Yeah. So what were your overall thoughts? Uh, obviously, we both really enjoyed the show, but, you know, overall thoughts on how probably your final Genesis live experience went? Uh, you know, I very much like what I saw Phil solo a few years ago. I did go into this show, even having friends that were raving about it. I went in with, you know, managed expectations. Mm -hmm. Um, I was blown away. 
I really was. Um, I expected it to be an emotional experience. Um, and I think that um, it was perhaps as a lot of these things are like even more emotional than perhaps I was even expecting. There's been such a long wait for this tour and you almost like kind of got to the point where it's like, you realized that like, you know, the longer this thing stretches on, it's like, there's a chance we might not see this tour. So mm -hmm. I was happy the tour came off. I was happy they were able to complete all of the shows in North America. They had had, you know, when they were overseas, they had to cancel like the last, you know, few because there was a COVID incident. So mm -hmm. I was glad that the show actually made it to Cleveland. Um, you know, having followed this tour, as it was in the beginning stages, like as they were working on putting it together, um, I had listened to an interview with uh, Nick Collins and he talked about how among the things they were working on and uh, was that they had been rehearsing suppers ready. So, <laughs> so I was like going, okay, uh, are, are you going to take the Genesis path and do some sort of abbreviated shortened version of suppers ready? Or are we talking the whole thing? Because the way he was talking in this interview, he made it sound like basically they had like learned and practiced the entire thing. And I'm like going similar to what you said about like, you know, the moment in the show where you like lose your mind. I'm like, going if that happens in a Genesis show, if I actually get to see them play all of Supper's Ready, I'm going to lose my mind. So mm. um, that was perhaps the one set list low light for me that that didn't make it into the show in any form. But um I think it's enough of Supper's Ready is at least known by a large, I would say a large segment of Genesis fans. So just the fact that they took Fading Lights, which is really pretty obscure by Genesis standards, and put that into the set list, I'm like, you know what? Uh, okay. Okay, Genesis. Like, there was enough in this show that, like, um, for the stuff that wasn't there, and I'm sure there's other stuff that I could point to that, like, you know, I would have enjoyed – um, anything that wasn't there was, um, for me, um, more than made up for by everything that was there in the set list. And it just was, it was a magnificent show. I wish that I could go see it two or three more times. Yeah, exactly. The, for me, I, there's always things from a catalog as vast as theirs. There's always things that you would say, well, it would have been cool if they played this. It would have been cool if they played all of, um, the cinema show. That's my favorite Genesis song or, yeah. you know, like you said, like any, Part, even if it's just a, an instrumental section of Supper's Ready would have been an amazing, but I can't really complain. They Everything they did, they did very well. I went in, you know, I had heard all the negative people saying, oh, you know, Phil can't sing anymore and he's not going to drum and blah, blah, blah. You know what? For me, it was never about that. For me, going to see Genesis was about me saying goodbye to my favorite band. And Absolutely. it was a, a very emotional time from the first note to the last. And I, just like when I saw... The monkeys, not that long ago, I yeah on the when they were taking their bows, I said out loud, knowing there's no way they're going to hear me in this din. I I said thank you out loud to them, thank you mm -hmm. for everything, and tears are streaming down my face. And of course, uh, in respect to the monkeys, we just lost Mike Nesmith, so I I can't yeah be any happier that I actually got to go and see that. I. You know, I think you probably do some of this too, but it's like, as I've been talking to artists, like more recently in recent years, like, you know, I've started like, you know, if it comes to mind, like I try to like, you know, tell them as we're wrapping up the end of the interview, you know, just like, you know, thanks for all the music, you know, like, because yeah. we're kind of in a privileged position where it's like, we can have those conversations, like, you know, you know, you getting to speak to, you know, a member of triumph or whatever the case is, um, you know, I know that you've had like 
some of those opportunities to have some of those conversations. And it's just like, so we're, we're kind of at a privileged place to be able to like say that, like, you know, you know, if it's not the thing where it's like, you're running into the person outside your local club or whatever, like, you know, I think we've had those experiences as well. Um, but I, I guess I'm just more mindful. I, I think I was always appreciative, even when I was like meeting those people outside of the club or whatever it was, I was always mindful that like, it was a special experience that like, not everybody's going to, you know, get to talk to so-and-so after a show. So it's like, Right. I tried to verbalize something like that, but it's like, I'm even more conscious of it now as we're starting to see, see some of these guys leave the road. Yeah, exactly. It's some of my favorite moments from doing this show are the moments right after sign off where I, you know, just spend two minutes just quickly saying goodbye and thanking them for everything that they've done musically, yeah. everything they put out in the world, the ways that they've enriched my life and, and the lives of countless others. It's you're right. It's, I think it's important to say that because not everybody gets a chance to say that. Yeah, I have, you know, in like proof that like I've, I've got a buddy that's been doing radio for probably, you know, close to 40 years, if not longer than that. And we were talking about something this past year that he had talked to somebody and he just said, he's like, man, I'm going to tell you straight out. I had 10 minutes, you know, to talk to so and so. And he's like, and I used, you know, a minute of that, you know, telling him how much I appreciated, you know, whatever it was, you know, so it's like we all, you know, any of us that like are fortunate enough to do stuff like that. It's just like it's a fun I, I think I think it's okay to allow yourself that like little moment to still be a fan and you know just express you know if you can just you can just look at it like you're expressing on behalf of other fans you know you know something that they you know would would love to say to that person you know so mm -hmm. it's fun fun when, fun when you get those chances to do stuff like that absolutely Matt Wardlaw it's been a lot of fun talking Genesis with you I had a great time doing this almost as much fun Same. as I had uh, seeing seeing Genesis. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, so a couple places um, on Twitter at M Wardlaw. That's M W A R D L A W. Um, and then as you mentioned up top, you can constantly, you know, find my stuff at ultimate classic rock. So that's ultimate classic rock.com. Those are probably the two best places. Matt is a great follow on Twitter for many reasons, but one of the reasons is that uh, sometimes he gives stuff away and uh, <laughs> I do <laughs> he gave me a book. He gave me Bruce Dickinson's autobiography, which uh, helped me on the flight uh, to and from Columbus. And um, I'm still going through nice. that book. Thank you so much for sending that. It was on, it's been on my to-read list. So uh, thank you for sending that along. I hope I can I pay that forward at some point. Oh, man. Just us sitting here <laughs> talking about Genesis today. That's more than enough. So glad you dug it. Glad you're digging it. Yeah, Matt, thank you so much. Um, I think if you're one of those folks who stuck around and you're getting ready to see Genesis in Europe, you're in for a treat. It's going to be a great yeah. time. You know, like, like Matt, I managed my expectations. My, my involvement was just, I want to go see them one more time to show my appreciation for everything that they've given me throughout the years. They've enriched my life in so many ways with their music, all of their albums and their hits and, and the deeper album cuts and the live albums. And I've got tons of bootlegs and all of that stuff. Yeah. The videos, the box sets, it's all made my life more enjoyable. So it was, it was my honor, even though the price tag was very high and, and including the ticket and a flight, um, it was worth it for me to be able to go and do that to say goodbye to them properly. And, and I hope that people will do that throughout the remainder of their tour. And if, if this is the last time we got to see them, I'm glad I was there. 
I tell you what, I'm like you brought something up, like just talking about bootlegs. Like I don't do this when I'm like going home from seeing a show. I, I won't really put on like the music of the person that I just went to see because mm-hmm. I just saw the person. They just played a couple hours of it. But I got in the car after the Genesis show and I like I'm looking at my phone and I came to like a bootleg from the Abacab tour. I put it on. I was listening to Genesis all the way home. So, yeah, I mean, totally agree with everything you said. And it's like, if people have a way to get out and see this tour, they should do it because it's just a really fun, emotional, memorable time. All right. Well, thanks for watching Michael's Record Collection on YouTube. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you uh, have any questions for me, you can always uh, hit me up on email, michaelsrecordcollection at gmail.com. Go to michaelsrecordcollection.com to find out about my free newsletter uh or you know you can you find out more about my patreon all of that stuff you can find me on all the social medias thanks matt we'll see you down the road thank you so much for your time and uh i'm going to be hitting up uh, annie to talk about duran duran here pretty soon awesome it's been so much fun michael thank you man michael's record collection is hosted and produced by michael citro logo graphic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. Follow Michael's Record Collection on social media at Mike's Records on Twitter and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon at patreon.com slash Michael's Record Collection. For the free newsletter version, go to substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening. <laughs>